I think most of you know by now that my dog Sebastian died earlier this week, but it was a great parting. By some odd quirk of timing, he got to spend a lot of quality time that past week with most of, most of his human and canine friends and uh, was able to play with them until he left us peacefully. And he was a large dog and he lived to be over 14 years old, so for that I'm very thankful. And I was pleasantly shocked by the effects he, his death had on so many. He did a lot of pastoral work. People would tell me that they would come to the office and be really nervous about talking to me and, and the dog could sense it or they were coming because they were sad because somebody in their family died and he would come and just lay his head in their lap or uh, sometimes we'd go for a walk and someone that I'd not met before would run up to the dog, oh, how are you doing, dog? And then that was their gateway to say, oh, Father, hi, I've been meaning to talk to you. So he did a lot of pastoral work and I only hope that when I die, I will be at least as popular as Sebastian was. <laughs> but there's one story about him that I tend not to tell because I'm too embarrassed about the incident. When Sebastian was a much younger dog and he was all black instead of half gray, he wasn't quite as well behaved as he was later in life. One night, we were taking our nightly walk around the property when we would make sure that all the lights were turned off and all the doors were shut. And we got back by the playground, which is supposed to be closed in the evening. And I didn't think I saw anybody there. And I let Sebastian off his leash and he just took off like a black street barking toward the playground. And it, as it turns out, there were two young children there with their dad. And the dad saw the dog coming. Now, I knew Sebastian was just gonna go up there and love them, but he had no clue, right? This is a scary thing, a barking dog coming at you and your two little children. And he stood up and stood between this oncoming dog and his children. He made himself big like this and just went, no. I thought that was pretty amazing. The dog just stopped. I think he was confused and I called him. He came back and I put him on the leash and we went the other way because I didn't want to confront this guy. But. <laughs> but I think back now on how brave that dad was. He had no idea that Sebastian was not a threat. Yet he stood there like a wall between this dog and his two young kids. We are taught in psychology class that when we face dangers, we, danger, we have two basic instincts, fight or flight. We are either going to go after the present danger and conquer or destroy it, or we're gonna run the other way. Jesus today calls us to a third alternative. Turn the other cheek. And for some bizarre reason, this gets interpreted as passive or weak or ineffectual, but it is anything but. What does it look like? It looks like the guy standing between a charging dog and his two young children. He didn't take out a gun, right? He didn't hightail it up the monkey bars. He stood there as if to say, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to pass through me. Here is another example of what turn the other cheek looks like. 
the crucifixion, Jesus on the cross. When they came after him, Jesus didn't run away. That is, he didn't allow sin and falsity to win the day. That would have been ineffectual and sin would have won. He also didn't try to destroy everybody who disagreed with him or was a threat to his mission. You know, people sometimes ask the question, why doesn't God just destroy all bad people? Because that would make him a mere copy of what he came to heal, the exact thing he came to conquer. And again, ironically, sin then would win. Rather, he stood in the fray, neither hiding and protecting his comfort, nor becoming a destroying monster. Had he just given in, we wouldn't follow him. If he'd become a mirror of the evil that he came to destroy, what would have really changed? Turning the other cheek is the way for the change for the good in the world. This is why he teaches this to us. And here's how it works in the world today. Think about our developing culture of death over the past number of decades. How did this come around? Because we discovered a deeper truth about life? No. Because when little pieces of the culture of life were slowly being chipped away, we were not aware, thoughtful, or wise enough to stand in the fray and say, this far and no further. It came at a time when, when our culture couldn't even dream that it would become as bad as it has. We made too many allowances, which is a version of flight or hiding, and allowed the culture of death to gain a foothold step by step by step. And why does it seem that there is hope today that the culture of death might turn? Because there are men and women today, young and old, who are willing to stand on the line, not running away and saying, oh, well, what can I do? And not becoming what they hate by bringing harm toward those who support death, but by turning the other cheek, standing there like that man between the dog and his children and saying, no, we don't accept this. St. Francis gives an example of this with the feeling of loneliness. He says, don't run away from her because she will pursue you your whole life. And don't try to destroy, destroy her, but learn from her. Rather, St. Francis says, turn he calls her lady loneliness. He says, turn toward her, embrace her, learn from her, become familiar with her, and come to understand her, and then you never need to be afraid of her again. It's the same with most of your fears. You never get rid of your fears. And that's a good thing. We should be afraid. It keeps you alive. There are things out there that can harm you and kill you. But if they are keeping you from living, then they're already winning. So the psychologist will say, slowly come to face your fears. You will not be rid of fear, but you can become braver than your fear. Stand there in the fray and turn the other cheek. Okay, bring it on. 
or take cigarette smoking. I think this is interesting. Last night we had our September, uh, well, it's no longer September Spectacular. We had our spectacular fundraiser down in Zwistler Hall. And I remember as a kid when we would set up for dances and things like that down at Slovene Center or whatever. The very first thing you did when you were decorating was you put ashtrays out on the table, these little metal ones in various colors, right? And when during the night at the, at, the, at the dance or whatever it was, the whole room would be filled with smoke. And actually, I thought it was kind of cool. It was like a fog machine. You know, you couldn't really see the other side of the, of the, of the room. And when you woke up in the morning, you knew you were at a dance last night because you took one whiff of your clothes and went, whoa. Last night, not one smoker it used to be such a part of our culture that it was unimaginable to me that it would eventually be so banned. But people made a stand. They drew the line. Perhaps they withdrew their monetary support by, I'm not going to go to that restaurant anymore. And today, you almost don't need no smoking signs. We just know. And if someone would have lit up last night, you know someone would have went up to them and said, you can't smoke in here. Turning the other cheek is not the easy way out. Actually, it, it takes the most work and perhaps the most bravery. It is not the quickest of solutions, but it does affect the most permanent change. It is how Christ changed the world and began the possibility of Western culture. And if we want to save that culture and keep it from disintegrating, it will be by aligning our efforts with the example of the God-man who lived so as to make it possible. 